0: Heavenly Father, as we bow before your throne this evening, where would we be without predestinated, unmerited grace? That it comes because of your love, O God. Your thoughts of which we're a part of before the foundation of the world. We so thank you as we lift up our needs before you at the beginning of the service. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your life. The word is not a dead letter. The word is you. And you are spirit and life. And Lord, as we bow in your presence, we're just committing all into your hands. We commit this service to you knowing, Lord, that a young man will take water baptism tonight. Because, Lord, you spoke to his heart. You ministered to his soul. You're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and mercies to us. We thank you, Lord, now as we turn back the word, that you're here to give us the context. We, without you, Lord, we can do nothing. Lord, you are the anointing. You are the one that breaks the word to your people. So we just give ourselves to you what little gift we might have. We just ask your blessing upon the word for your glory as we read it. As we speak of it, we commit it all into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn together, if you would, to the second book of Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter 7. Amen. Gideon Lardilier is going to be baptized tonight. And uh, I remember when... Uh, our little Gideon was born. And a few months after that my wife gave out the uh normal uh baby announcements, thank you cards, whatever it was, and and I guess one had gone to the Lardiliers and so Gideon had come and and said to me, he says, so he says, Your Gideon was born on July twenty fifth. I said, Yes, he was. He says, So was I. And I said, Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And And two Gideons born on the same day. So we have a special kinship and, uh, we thank God for what he's doing in your life, Gideon. We thank God so much for that. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 17, or chapter 7, I'm sorry. I want to, I've been looking at the subject, looking at the thought for a little while, just kind of reading some of the things Brother Branham has said about vindication vindication and and uh, it's mentioned he mentions it in his services uh in the message of about 2000 places and uh so there's a lot of thought on vindication and uh and so I thought that I just kind of maybe just take a simple Maybe almost Bible study tonight, uh, just or just a little study on a word, vindication. If I would title it, I would say, God Vindicating His Seed, or God Vindicating His Word. And, and so let's uh, read from Second Samuel chapter 7 and take a context from there. There's so much we could talk about or start with, God Vindicating His Word. It says, And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwell, dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thy heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt build me a, shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in, whereas I have not dwelled in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle, in all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, "'Spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, "'Why build ye me, not me a house of cedar?' "'Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, "'I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, over Israel.' And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great man like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded the judgments to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest. From all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. And when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom, and he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. Amen. The Lord had his blessing to the word. You may be seated. As we look at this scripture and, and, you know, we read... An account or a, a brief summary of the life of David from the thoughts of God to his prophet. You know, we, David is coming to the end of his life, the end of his time of, we'll say, ministry to the children of Israel. And, uh, you know, many times as we, as we maybe arrive in the older years of our life, we look back and, and, you know, think, what have we done for the Lord? Or, or how, uh, have we served Him? And has He been pleased with that? And, and the Lord just recounts to David of how He brought Him from a certain place. Being a little shepherd boy and brought him into the kingship and how that he may give him a name among the great names of the earth and gave him a kingdom and gave him rest from all of his enemies. These are things in the thinking of God. This is not just a story. Can you say amen to that? This is not just something that uh, the prophet is just kind of, you know, waxing uh, 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 like a, a poetic or like a flower and, and giving David some accolades of his life. No, it's God declaring to David, this is what I have done in your life. There might have been a lot of things that happened. God never summarized and says, and you fell here or you did this wrong over there. Or you should not have done that. Amen? God never said that. We often think that in our own minds. I wish I hadn't done this this way. Or I wish I hadn't made that mistake. Or maybe I'm the only one that thinks that. You know, we all look back in our lives and we go, Oh, if I had it to do over again, I would have done it differently. Amen? That's human life. That's human existence. But that's not the thoughts of God. That's not what God was declaring about David, but even in, in the beginning of his statement, the beginning of this chapter, you know, David's, uh, how should we say, David's a visionary, David's a man that's musing in his thoughts, and uh, maybe we could say he's thinking out loud, and he's saying, you know, I, I have this nice house, God has given me all not all sorts of nice things, in other words, God has blessed me and and I have been increased and 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 maybe thinking back of where he come from and where he was now and he says I've got all this and he says God lives the tabernacle the the ark of the covenant is in a tent and he says somehow that doesn't seem right with me I I think maybe I'll build a house for God and the prophet Nathan he says to David he says and I know I'm just rehearsing this for you but he says to David now David Do all that's in your heart, for God is with you. And it's a striking statement, and Brother Branham picks it up in several different places, because we realize that Nathan is saying something according to what he sees. Number one, God is with David. Number two, David has a good heart. Uh, we even recognize that in the beginning when God chose David, how that, you know, in, we won't turn to it, but in 1 Samuel 16, as Samuel goes to anoint the next king after Saul, he goes to the house of Jesse. And, and Eliab, the eldest, comes before Samuel. And, and Samuel says, oh, surely this is the Lord's anointed. and And the Lord says to Samuel, don't look on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. For a man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. Amen. So now the prophet Nathan says to David. Now at the end of his. Or coming to the end of his life. Maybe the last inspiration that David gets. Which is a good inspiration. And he says you know. David do all that's in your heart. Because God is with you. And so now. I'll say that it was a good statement. Because, you know, many places Brother Branham talks about the predestinated seed. And he says, you know, uh, he says that predestinated seed. He talks about the woman at the well. The predestinated seed laying in her heart. Or he talks about someone else. The predestinated seed laying in their heart. When the light struck the predestinated seed you know, that that quickened that and brought that to life and and, and it brought a change. See, because laying in that seed is who we are meant to be. Hallelujah. There's something laying in your heart. And And that's where I'm trying to get you to this morning, just to begin with, is that All that God sees of you, all that God knows he wants you to accomplish, what he made you to accomplish, what he's purposed in your life is laying in the seed. And if we can really catch that revelation, then we will understand that it takes the anointed word, the light of God to come to the predestinated seed to make us what God has intended us to be. Amen. Amen. So there's things that are laying within our lives. We know that, and I guess I'm just starting real basic, and I thought just to keep it simple tonight anyway, but, you know, uh, uh, we know that in our lives, in that predestinated seed, that, that, that even in our unsafe condition, there's a yearning. The Bible calls it a deep calling to the deep. There's something pushing us somewhere. We knew there was a God. Brother Branham talks about it in, I can't remember the title of the message, but he says, there was something in you. You went to this church. You went to that church. you, You look here. You look there. But one day the word came by your way. And and so that word coming by your way it quickened you it's just like the woman at the well she was raised in a religious home she was a Samaritan who were religious she has taught certain things but she got in the wrong road and, and and but yet one day the word came by her way and all that she aspired to became quickened in her life now all that was a reality it was an eternal reality it was an eternal reality that now become manifested in the hour that it was intended to be manifested. So that's what you are meant to be, the part of God that lays within you. And so that is, and that I'll say, I'll add to that, that is what the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, I'll say the love of God, the anointed word, that's what it comes to In this hour, to vindicate. Because God has sent his seed by predestination into this hour, and you are here. And God comes to vindicate his seed, which is his word for the hour. Amen. All right, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you would. That was kind of a long way around to get here. Try and watch my time. Deuteronomy 8 is a familiar uh, text for us. talks about manna. And then we'll start at verse 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee. All right. Now let me start by saying the word vindicate is not actually in the Bible. It's not a Bible word. It's an English word that Brother Branham used many times, but it's very close in meaning to the word prove. And so even the word vindicate, if you take the actual meaning of it, it's often a, uh, it, it often means to prove what someone said or did was right or true. Or to prove that someone is not guilty or is free from blame. That's the modern definition of the word vindicate. But in the Bible we find this word prove. And God says, he says, I led these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee. To what? Know what was in thine heart. All right. So now God's saying to Israel, you've gone through the wilderness for a purpose. Now I'm sharing to you the purpose. I wanted to bring out or to prove or to manifest or to vindicate what was really in your heart. And so I had to allow certain things to happen in your journey to humble you. He says, whether you would keep his commandments or no. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, and he says, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man does not live by bread alone, but, or only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Alright, so he's making them to know to prove what's in their heart. Will they make it? No, Jesus says the first generation didn't make it, they perished in the wilderness, and they're eternally separated from God. Because there was the word was not mixed in their heart. With faith or by faith that they might be quickened to the message of the hour. Or I'll say it another way. They were not by identification a part of the message of the hour. That when it was proved what was in their heart, there was no part in the promise found in them. And they perished there in the wilderness. I could even go down in the same chapter. Jump down with me to verse 16. He says, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, what is the next statement? To do thee good at thy latter end. Now that takes us to another scripture that's been quoted recently by, I don't remember whether Brother Tom or Brother John, but in Jeremiah where it says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I think it was Brother Tom. And he saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Amen? So the these very thoughts of God, which are manifested in the seed gene that is in us, is to have an expected end. Or in other words, God is going to vindicate the purpose that he put the seed in you. All right, you with me so far? So when God is proving us, or He's vindicating us, you could use the same word, it is to bring to manifestation what He has put within us to declare the word of the age that we are living in. All right? So let me say that again. When God is vindicating or proving an individual, it's to bring to manifestation What he has put within us by foreknowledge, predestinated, Brother Brown says, the predestinated seed gene, the, what, who he foreknew he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son is laying there within the seed of God and God is going to prove that's my word. Because he is the word and it's a part of himself that he's put within us to bring back to himself i'll say it in an invisible union david says in psalms chapter 26 he says examine me o lord and prove me try my reins and my heart it's a it's a different statement i remember ministering on it years ago and spent a lot of time on the word reins because the word reins is not like reins of a horse But this word reins refers to the innermost, uh, organs of the body, like the kidneys and the, and the, uh, the inner fat around the kidneys and that sort of thing. So it's kind of a different statement. So David said, try my reins and my innermost being. In other words, and I don't have time to go into the details of it, but when he's, and he's saying trying my heart, in your heart is who you are. In your heart is your predestination. In your heart is the seed, but the reins—if I could sum it up for you in a statement—the reins is your motive and objective. All right. So David's saying, now try my, try what you have made me. Prove what you have made me, and also test my motive and objective. And so there's a there's an there's an aspect of it that God comes to us. to to try particularly or prove that which he has put within the vid, in, within the individual, because we recognize, are you still with me so far? All right, we recognize that, and there's been a lot of teaching on it lately, a lot of services on it lately. We are the thoughts of God that are materialized in this age. Amen. Now when the word comes forth, the preaching, God is trying to anchor something in our hearts. You know, He's trying to establish it because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. And so we, 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 we recognize that the thoughts of God are eternal. I could just refer to it out of the church age book, brother, in brother Branham's language in the church age book. It says, in very plain language, the true bride of Christ was in the mind of God eternally. Though not expressed until each came forth in the designated decreed season. This is your season. He says, as each member came forth, it became expressed and took its place in the body. How do we take our place in the body? By one spirit. Are we all baptized into one body? All right, thus the bride is the literal spoken word seed bride. He goes on, he says, Now then we are coming to a conclusion. As the eternal Logos, God, was manifest in the Son, and in Jesus dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and that eternal one was the Father manifested in flesh, and thereby gained the title of Son. He says, even so we, and I love that statement right there in the church age book. As he describes Jesus. And he says, even so we. Eternal in his thoughts. Are you eternal in his thoughts? Put your name there. It's a, it's a settled work. It's not based on your emotion. It's not based on your feelings. It's based on the revelation of the word individually to you. He says, even so we, eternal in his thoughts, in our turn, became the many-membered spoken word seed manifest in flesh. Amen. So that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who we are. We are the spoken word seed manifested in flesh. We are the spoken word seed manifested in flesh. I am the spoken word seed manifested in flesh. Now just by repeating it doesn't make it so. But I'm going to keep saying it until the Holy Spirit will let it sink into as many as possible here tonight. You're not just some person born in a certain home, born in a certain family, born in a certain nation, born in a certain culture, come through life with certain experiences and certain education and certain things. No, you're the spoken word seed of God manifested in flesh for this hour. Amen. Amen. Just the same as Moses was in his day and Israel being a part of that. So also in this hour, and I'll come to this, but this hour God sends a prophet and we can identify the prophet as Malachi 4 fulfilled. Right. Revelation ten seven fulfilled. Amen. Luke 1730 fulfilled. We can identify that's that word spoken for this hour manifested in that tabernacle of flesh, but so also is there a bride that believes the word. I am that word that was spoken when God said through Paul, he says, and he will have a bride washed in the water of his word, spotless, virtuous, without blemish or any wrinkle or any such thing. There will be that kind of a people we have to say that was spoken from the thoughts of God regarding me when I would walk in this age. I can't make myself that, but I believe I am that. He says, and those thoughts manifest in flesh are the sons of God, even as we are so called. We did not become seed by the rebirth. We were seed, therefore were reborn, for only the elect can be reborn. Because we were seed is the reason we could be quickened. In non-seed, there is nothing to quicken. Ah, now there's the very statement of vindication. Because we were seed is the reason we could be quickened. Where were you seed? In your heart. And where are they not seed? In their heart. So God is proving what is in the heart. And so when Nathaniel says to David, he he says, David, do all that's in your heart. He didn't know that wasn't in there. All he knew was that God was with David and David, do what's in your heart. But God comes back and says, this isn't a part of your seed, but this is a seed that will come after you. There will be one that will come out of your loins. I'll be his God. I'll be a father to him. I'll chastise him. But my mercies will never leave him. That's his place. I know him like I know you. Amen. Amen. And so does God know each one of us individually and is here with his presence to prove his seed. Hallelujah. I got. I better go back here to my notes because we there's just some good things here. Amen. I love this message. I'll tell you what. You're not going to get this outside of this message. Sometimes I get in my study and get to reading these things and reading and studying and reading. And the picture just begins to form. And I just think I should just phone and let somebody else preach. And I'll just stay and read these things. (laughs) You know, it's just so good. It's just so good and so rich and so wonderful. There's nothing like it. We're a blessed people. Amen. We're a blessed people. Okay, so. So we are the thoughts of God materialized in this hour. The thoughts of God are eternal. And we're sent to the age to manifest or vindicate the promise to the age. So then we could say, we are his victory. Alright? So it brings that all into play. And Remember the Bible says, we ministered on it recently, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, we're here to prove, we're here to vindicate we're here to manifest, and we'll tie those three together in a moment, the very perfect will of God for this age. What is the will of God in this age? It's sitting right here. God's manifesting it in the lives of His bride. This is His will being manifested on a daily basis in each one of our lives. You know, Jesus in John chapter 6, the at the very beginning, you know... uh, he he says to to uh, I think it's Philip I don't have the beginning scripture here and I don't want to take the time to turn to it but he says to one of the disciples Philip Andrew and and he says now he says go and buy food and feed all these people and and Philip says where are we going to get enough money to to feed all these people and and this, the Bible says this he said to prove what was in his heart okay. And so, it goes on in the same chapter and he, it's the same chapter that he begins to deal with, with, we'll call it the hangers on. As he begins to declare the message and begins to declare the word and and they begin to doubt him. What if you see the son of man ascend up to heaven from whence he came? You know, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he begins to declare these things. And from that time, the Bible says, many went away and walked no more with him till there was only the 12 left. What was he doing? He was proving what was in their heart. And then when he comes to the disciples, he says, And will you also go away? And Peter says those words that we all love. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There was something in him that recognized there's no other source for that deep calling that's within me. He says, And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, they were predestinated to believe it, and to receive it, it was in them. They were a seed. You know, we can say Jesus was the spoken word, but they were the spoken word to be identified with that spoken word. There had to be there had to be the part that would receive the other part. And so they were there, declaring that in their lives. Brother Brown says it this way: "And go wait, Jesus." He said, "People say today, if I could know for sure that that was Him, if I could just be sure." How could they be sure? How was the disciples sure of it? Now listen, not because he was an educated man, as far as we know, he wasn't. Talking about Peter. He only had the wisdom of God. But the worldly education, we don't have no record of him ever going to school. But some great priest or some great renowned person, oh, I'm sorry, he's referring to Jesus here. He says, no, we have no record of anything like that, just a common man. But how could they know? Now listen close. Don't miss this. How could they rest assured? We are sure that thou art the Christ. How could they? Because they seen the promised word vindicated. Okay. Now it's not just the promised word. They seen the promised word vindicated. In other words, made manifest, made known. The living word of promise was alive projected through that body and they knew that God was in him. All right? So they they saw the promise word. What was the promise word? The Messiah. But they saw the mo- promise of the hour vindicated before their eyes. All right? That is to say, come into manifestation right before them. But God... Uh, Let me take a step back here. Because when God vindicates something and I have to lay this in here now, when God vindicates, what he is vindicating is his word. Amen. All right? God does not vindicate us individually. All right? Now, this is a fine line here, so I want you to catch this. Or he does not vindicate us Personally, I'll put it that way. But he vindicates that he is with us. You see, what he's vindicating is himself. He's not vindicating you. That's why no man can raise up and say, I'm this or that, even though it could be by revelation of what he is, because Jesus will share his glory with no man. All right, so that, that's the paradox of it all is that the seed gene, the very part of God lives within us, but yet we don't have anywhere to glory. All the glory belongs to him. Amen. Amen. And so it's it's really an amazing paradox. So he vindicates the word and he is the word and we are a part of the word by vindication. Now, if we go even a step further back, we, we talk about how that Brother Branham brings it out in the messages like Shalom. And he says, God interprets his word by bringing it to pass. Is that right? He says, for example, that sun is the word of God. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And when the manifested word of God, when the word of God was manifested, there was light. So first was a thought, then was the word spoken, then come the manifestation. All right? Like I spoke before, even that's what a prophecy is. It's a thought that's spoken by a prophet to become materialized in the season when it's to be manifested. Alright? It's not a prediction. It's not some man seeing the future. It's a prophet seeing the thought of God. And so he declares it at the thought of God and when the Word is manifested, that is the vindication that it is the Word of God. Okay. Okay. So Brother Branham says in Faith Once Delivered to the Saints, he says, We're not judged by how fundamental we are or how orthodox we are in our belief. We're judged by God's election and a vindication. I'll let that sink in a little bit. We're not judged by just how much we understand something. We're not judged by how fundamental we are. We're not judged by how much you knew and how you followed that. But rather we are judged by election. God chose you. And he vindicated that you are his. Amen. How does he do that? By manifesting the word in our lives according to his perfect will. Amen. So we're all there together. So it's, it's not just a blanket vindication of I'm vindicating Tim Dodd or I'm vindicating Joe Smith or anybody else. But like he told David, you know, God said, now go back and tell David, that's not your place. But I'll tell you what was in my thoughts concerning you. I brought you from the sheep coat. I brought you from that position. I led you. I watched over you. I chose you says, I put you in position. I gave you a name. I gave you peace from your enemies. I did all these things. What's he saying? These are the things that I have done in your life. This is the vindication. I am with you. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. So we need to settle the issue. If God is for us. I remember I'm often talking to a brother. There's a certain brother that, that comes into my office from time to time. I won't mention his name, but he comes in and talks to me. He says, he says, well, I just believe the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. He said, that's just the way I believe it. He says, the footsteps are ordered of the Lord. I says, well, you look at the scripture differently than I do. He says, I do. I says, I believe what you believe, but the question is not the footsteps. The question is the righteous. The footsteps of the righteous. I says, what makes us righteous? It's the righteousness which is of faith. It is that he has dropped his faith into our lives. He's appointing our footsteps. He's leading us all along the way. And if God before us, he has chosen you. He put his seed in you. He has declared, that's my word. I will vindicate my word. Hallelujah. There's nothing can stand against the seed of God. You know, when you really look at it in the light of the scripture, there's nothing can stop a seed of God from coming where God wants it to come. We can look at legion in the Bible. How, how mired in the depths of depravity and sin. But in there, there was something to quicken. The devil says, I got him wrapped up. I got him so possessed. I got a thousand or more of my demons in there. They call him legion. He runs around naked. There's no hope for him. Nobody's going to touch him. Nobody can get near him. But the word came by his way. Hallelujah. God was vindicating, that's my seed. It doesn't matter what the devil does. That's my seed. Hallelujah. God vindicating His seed. Glory to God. If you're His seed, His predestinated purpose in your life will declare itself and we sure want that, don't we? Amen. We want that more than anything that's our desire that's the re- that's the depth of our yearning that's the reason that we're here that's the reason we live the way we do that's why we separate ourselves from the things of the world that's why we, why we cut off the devil's influences from our lives amen that's why we that's why we put a block that's why we, that's why we have a standard as a church and I'm not talking about a church standard. I'm just talking about, as a people, we have a standard of a certain level of life that we expect of ourselves. Living in the midst of this ungodly age, we don't want to live under the influence of this ungodly age. Amen. That's why young people, you know, a lot is said about the with the after-camp experience or the after-camp battle. I like the text that Brother Michael took when he was talking about it, you know, the storm after. Afterwards, and you know, there is a storm, but you have to realize you've got to cut yourself off from that which sows unbelief in your mind. You gotta be, you gotta be men. Brothers, you gotta be real women, sisters. You gotta be people that's willing to stand and say, no, I don't want that. It's, you know, well, this is not a millennial religion. That just came to me. (laughs) I thought, wow, we could really go down this road, couldn't we? This is not a millennial. What's a millennial? A millennial is someone that that is feels entitled to everything but doesn't want to do anything to get it. That's what they say. I don't know. That's what they say. All right? And I'm not accusing anybody of being like that. But that's the prevailing attitude of the age. We're entitled to things, but we don't want to earn it. We want it to be given to us. I'll tell you what. You're in a battle. You're in a fight, and the devil wants to take you. Stand up for the Word of God. Stand up for what God has shown you. I I was reading in the family altar book with the family the other day, where Brother Branham said, maybe you read it too, where he said, what does it matter what the world thinks? What does it matter what anybody thinks? They're saying it's this, they're saying that. Who cares what they think? I don't want their life. I want what God has for me. I want what the deep calling is. Amen. I'm sorry, I'm getting to preaching when I should just be teaching here. All right. Vindication we often think to be signs and wonders. I've said it would be 45 minutes and that's about now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we think a vindication is all oh, signs and wonders. But you know the devil has signs and wonders? And if signs and wonders was vindication, then Balaam was vindicated. And Balaam was not a vindicated prophet. Why was he not a vindicated prophet? Brother Brown says fundamentally he was just as fundamental as Moses was. But there wasn't a divine vindication. But in there they were both prophets. Oh, so now you can be a prophet and not be a vindicated prophet. Because vindication doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. A lot of times in the human psyche or the human thinking, we think that vindication, something supernatural happens, that's God vindicating that person. That's not God vindicating that person. God vindicates His Word. And Balaam was never part of the Word. That's why Balaam could not be vindicated. But Moses was the word revealed in that hour. And because he was the word, God vindicates his word. And so God vindicated that he was with Moses. And he 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 was leading the children of Israel through that. And so uh, uh, Balaam could not be vindicated because he was not a manifestation of the word of the hour. Though he was dynamic and fundamental. Catch that now. Because that's why the Bible says in the last days the two spirits would be so close it would deceive the elected. And Brother Radham takes picks it up and anointed ones at the end time. And he says, Balaam... Anointed with the same spirit that was upon Moses. My. Now what are we talking about? The, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The very thing that Brother Branham told Brother Biskel. He says, you got to understand, both the wheat and the tares enjoy the rain that falls upon them. Amen? Why is that? Because it's it's an anointing in a season, but that's not the vindication. The vindication is God vindicating His word of the hour being manifested in the lives of His seed. Hallelujah. Let me read on. He says what was the difference? The teaching of Moses was perfect. The Bible said here in 2 Peter that it was the teaching of Balaam that Israel received that God never did forgive the unpardonable sin." He says, Dathan Korah and many of them agreed with him and taught the children of Israel to commit fornications to go after the organization that were all the same. I'll just let that one sink in a little bit. We're all the same, whether we're Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostals, and what more, we're all the same. Then Brother Brown says, we're not the same. You are a separated people, holy unto the Lord, dedicated to the Word and the Spirit of God to bear fruit of His promise of this day. Hallelujah. He says, "You're not of them." And then he says, "Well, we often say, "I know that's awful strong, but that's the truth, just the same. That's awful straight. To say we're not the same as everybody that calls themselves Christian. I'm sorry. But that's the reality of it. God vindicates his word for the season. He's no longer vindicating Luther's season. That was vindicated in Luther's day. Those were the people that received the message when it was not popular to receive Luther's message. In Wesley's days, those that could receive the light of the word of that day are not the people that claim to follow Wesley in this hour. The same in Pentecost, and it's different now. The light of the word of the hours always separates God's people out because they're a predestinated seed to vindicate the promise of the day. Hallelujah. God vindicates His seed. Are you with me? Amen. In every age he vindicates it. And that's the interpretation is the vindication. So the interpretation, the vindication, and the manifestation in Brother Branham's terminology all refer to the same thing. It's easy to look back now in the light of the end time when all the mysteries are finished and see that it was vindicated in Luther's day and know exactly what the message was. But it wasn't easy for them. They struggled. Some went this way, some went that way. You've heard Luther had to stand above the fanaticism. I've been reading bits and pieces of a biography that was written on Luther's very uh very in-depth. And, and uh, I just am amazed at the fanaticism. Some go in this direction, and some claiming that, and this one claiming authority, and that one claiming that he's got the answers, and all the rest of it. And Luther's got to stand in the middle of it and go, "That's not the simplicity of the gospel. That's not what God is revealing." And and people going off into all kinds of fanaticisms. Oh my, I could I could really go into that if I had time, but we're not going to. I'm just going to keep it simple. It was not easy. In Wesley's day, we can look back and identify it and say, well, we obviously see who was in the message. But in that day, it wasn't easy. The Pentecostals of the beginning of the century. And you think it's going to be easy now in the message? Oh, because I go to Cloverdale Bible Way, I'm in the message. Doesn't mean anything. I hope you're in the message because I don't want to be the only one here in the message. Amen? I hope you're catching it. I hope it's real to you personally. I hope it's a fire burning within your soul that you can't get away from it. Something that drives you to church. Something that drives you into the Word of God. Something that drives you into prayer and in, into that that prevailing or that 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 you uh, what is the word I'm thinking of out of Ezekiel sighing and crying there it is that sighing and crying in the age that you're living in that that God wants to seal you and mark you and set you aside because you're his in this hour and he's 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 vindicating who you are. And and it, sometimes we think, oh, it's so hard, and and sometimes it's a battle, and, and there's something in me that you know when I make a mistake I, I feel so bad about it, and, and 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 you know when the devil trips me up over here and I I quickly repent, and you know I'm I'm just a human and I'm full of mistakes and I I do things wrong seems like every day or or I say things wrong or I get into wrong situations, but there's something driving me to keep going. What is it? It's God proving His word. It's God vindicating his promise. He says it doesn't matter if that's a legion. It doesn't matter if it's a woman at the well. It doesn't matter if it's a woman caught in adultery. It doesn't matter if it's a Zacchaeus. It doesn't matter who it is. When the word goes by their way, it will quicken them because they are the word to be manifested in that hour. Hallelujah. They're a part of it as much as Christ is a part of it. We in our season are the spoken word seed of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' day, there were people that were trained... Religious and trained. We're going to come to a close here in a moment. And they were, they were priests, some of them. They were religious sects like the Pharisees, which were not necessarily Levites. Paul was not a Levite. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. There were other religious sects that were trained, studied in the Word of God, studied in the Scripture. We could say fundamental. But their training was wrong. They missed the vindication of the word for the hour when it stood before them. Jesus was the vindicated word. And when he stood before them, the word that they claimed to believe. Now this is, this is where we really need to ask God to anchor it down. And this is what I wanted to get to tonight. It's not that we believe the Word in the fundamental sense of it, though you need to be grounded in the Word. I'm not saying it's, it's not all uh, uh, spiritualisms and, and uh, all kinds of... Uh, the message is not hooky spooks. I'll put it that way. It's not some kind of way out something somewhere into some great spiritual dimensions. It's not, it is in spiritual dimensions. It is supernatural. But it's it's not something that's so far out that the simple person. No, the simple people heard him gladly. The common people heard him gladly. And, and, uh, and so these people that were so studied in the word and trained. Brother Bram says in Why It Had to Be Shepherds. He says, trained to believe his word. And then when his word was vindicated before their eyes, they denied the word that was made vindication. Oh my. And, and some, some might say, well the problem was they were, they were overtaught or they were, the problem was the teaching, uh, but the existence of teaching is not the problem. Because even Brother Branham says every age has exactly the same pattern. The light comes through some God-given messenger into a certain area and then from that messenger there spreads the light through the ministry of others who have been faithfully taught. So it's not teaching in the essence of teaching. But they had studied so hard they were looking for the wrong thing. They had studied so hard that they thought they understood. But really now I'll go back to David. David do all that's in Your heart. For God is with you. And then God speaks to the prophet and says. This is not in David's heart. Because it's not for him to do. Rather in David's heart. What I put in David's heart. Is almost fulfilled. And he's coming to the end of his days. But there'll be another one. Whom I have called. We know it was Solomon. And that I'll be to a father to him. And I'll be one that deals with him. And I'll walk with him personally. Now, that, now here's a wonderful, wonderful revelation. God did not say to David, I want you to teach him faithfully. Although that would be important that Solomon be taught. I want you to impart your understanding. I want you to give him your revelation. No, God says, I'll be a father to him. I'll deal with him. I'll be a personal God to him. So is it in the message of the hour? And you know, God sends a prophet and we recognize that's the manifested or vindicated word in this hour. Can somebody say amen to that? How many of you, how many of you have that revelation? That God sent a prophet that is a vindicated word in this hour. But under the same, uh, the same pattern of God, Every predestinated seed is a spoken word of God. And now God, by the same message, wants to quicken what is within you and says, I will be your father. And I will deal with you. And I will make known to you what is in your heart. And I will reveal myself to you personally. I will be your God. And you will be my people. And I will lead you all along the way. Because I'm not vindicating you. I'm vindicating my word. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? As the musicians come. God vindicating his word. Hallelujah. The predestination of the heart must come on display doesn't matter, as I said, how deeply a person is bound. Even Elijah, when he goes up to Mount Carmel and, under the vision of the Lord and puts the altar in place, he doesn't just say, Lord, let it be known that I'm your servant. That's not his only statement. He says, let it be known that I am your servant and that I have done this at your command. In other words, Lord, vindicate your word. Brother Branham, at the end of so many services, how he declares, Now if I have told the truth, not standing there, if I be God's prophet, sometimes, once in a while, he he would become very personal to an obstinate devil. We realize that. He would say, Now Satan, according to a gift ministered to me by an angel. You know, he would identify himself and his authority to the demon. But to the people, he would say, now, if I have told the truth, let him come now and vindicate it. Amen. Let him come behind it and prove that I've told the truth. Amen. Are we are we in the way tonight? Are we wanting God to prove his word? Let's stand together as they make ready for the baptism. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we stand in your presence tonight... Lord, enjoying the message that you have sent so richly in this hour, there is great depths of, of the revelation of your very mind. And Father, how, to, how it humbles us to think that the mighty God, the creator of heavens and earth, who humbled himself to dwell in tents with the children of Israel, the so, that so great a God that you are would even come to us individually and show us the workings of your thoughts, the workings of your redemptive plan. And Lord, by showing us these things, it gives us faith that, Lord, you're doing something in our lives. There's a moving within us that's taking us from glory to glory as we behold as in a glass your very image, oh God. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the message. I pray, Lord, that your word would go out even now and Lord, that it'll strike hearts. Lord, if there's somebody here that feels so bound by the devil that they're saying that can't be a seed, may they just recognize they might be a legion. But if the word has come by their way and there's something striking them that says that's the truth, may they reach out by faith tonight and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. May may they touch the hem of your garment Lord. May they receive virtue for their need tonight. May the sick receive strength to be healed. Lord to walk out of here in a whole body. Lord may may, uh, infirmities and ailments just leave the people Lord under the anointed preaching of the word. May you just have the divine preeminence in your people and glorify The name that is the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We commit this service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One last quote before we sing. Oh, I don't know what we should sing. My Jesus, my Savior. That's always a good song for me. (laughs) He, He says, Brother Bam says in the message, Shalom, he says, Look up and shine with joy of the Lord to know what you've been privileged. Your eyes has come open. And see this day. Trust in Him for the future. You've seen Him vindicate His word in days past. He that vindicated His word in days past and has made all these other things happen just exactly to the hour we're living, everything exactly to the seventh angel's message, both showed it in heaven and on earth and made it known three ways so there can't be no slip-up, Remember, He promised He'd come again. Listen now. That word will be vindicated. You know, you're the vindication of it. If it's that close, I believe it is. You're the vindication of that word. What word? We shall be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. He says... God's promised word with 2000 years of waiting, he will arrive on time. Don't be weary. He'll be here. As he has vindicated his word in every age, the church ages show the same thing. Oh my, I wanted to spend time on that, but I ran out of time. Just go through every age and just comb through it and see how. You know, we look back by looking at the seven church ages in the book of Revelation. We can identify, well, this was Irenaeus, and this was Columba, and this was this one, and this was their message, and this is what God vindicated. But in the hour, they were expecting the word in their age. They were under an anointing. You're under an anointing to fulfill the word in this age. He says he has vindicated his word in every age. The church ages show the same thing. And the revealing of our Lord by the seventh message... And so forth. God revealed it, manifested it, and proved it. And in among us today, he showed himself here with us and proved and vindicated his word. And then he says, so will he. As he's done it in every age, even Brother Brown declaring through my own message, my own ministry, so will he bring this to pass. Isn't it wonderful? My Jesus.